Hello and welcome to Roses Radio, Voices Saving Lives. This podcast is presented by Roses in the Ocean, an Australian-based national not-for-profit that's been founded in order to change the way suicide is spoken about, understood and prevented. We hope that by presenting lived experience stories along with the insights and wisdom of the courageous people who share them, we will help to dispel some of the myths about suicide, improving the suicide literacy of our communities and contributing to reducing the fear, discrimination and judgement that sadly still inhibits our ability to support others and seek help. At Roses in the Ocean we believe that most suicides are preventable and we need to be able to openly speak about suicide. So please, open your hearts and minds to the possibilities that a deeper understanding of suicide can bring to saving lives. Welcome, Alex. <laughs> Thank you, Kieran. <laughs> so, um, first question I have for you. Yep. Where is that funky, funky accent from? <laughs> I've been working on this for a long time. <laughs> You've nailed this it. This is, uh, yeah, I've na- finally nailed it. Um, I'm from Belfast, Northern Ireland. Right. But I've been in Australia for 32 years. And so, um, what was it? Do you, what was it like in Belfast? And, and well, let's mm, talk about that. I grew. Yeah, it was quite a. It was a place that it was a bit scary to grow up in because when I first, I was only about, I think about seven years old, six or seven when the troubles started. Mm -hmm. So there was a period of time when I grew up and and it wasn't there. I guess it was there bubbling under the surface, but the actual bombs and guns and things weren't there. And then, you know, I reached the age of six or seven and suddenly we had all these... um, army in the street and guns and bombs going off and things like that and it was it was quite scary honestly um i mean i was there uh my dad got moved with his job and we lived in england for a while and then we lived in scotland for a while and then came back to belfast and it was in like a bleak time like 1975 and it was kind of really dark and there was nothing for kids my age to do. Like I was, pro- I think it was about eleven or twelve when I went back there, and you know you couldn't go out at night. You had all these. It was, you know, you could. You, you were actually stuck indoors a lot of the time. They had yeah. these curfews. Um, oh, I, was, I mean, I loved living in Scotland as a kid, and then I came back to Belfast. I thought, oh, what have we done? You know, this oh, is just yeah. dreadful. Um, yeah, it was interesting. It, it, I think it's really. I don't know, tailored to who I am as a person now, uh, having lived there younger, you know. So let's learn more about you. Okay. You know, you're okay. a musician as well. I am. What started your passion for music? Um, I don't know. I, I When I was a little kid, I, I used to like um, playing tunes on the piano and stuff. Like I didn't learn, I hadn't learned anything, but I could pick out tunes on the piano and I used to go in my room and sing to myself. Um, so you naturally had so the So nobody... Uh, I think nobody knew I could sing, but I did it to myself, and I had this sort of dream of doing it. It was a little bit of a dream I had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, luckily. Amazing. I mean, I recently, it, it's interesting because it's kind of come full circle because last year at the Fringe, I was part of a, um, a play uh, to do with suicide called uh, 41 Seconds. Yeah. And the idea being that um, every 41 seconds, someone dies to suicide. Um, and it was really, I mean, I played 
this uh, I played the mother of a, a, a son who suicided, and that is my story as well. Mm. So uh, the reason I did it was because I, I felt that it came, it sort of came into my lap. I'd started to do acting again, and I'd started to do things, and it came into my lap, and I thought, that's the thing for me. That I, That's telling I me that. I have to do that. And it was so cathartic to do. Like, it was it was hard. It wasn't an easy thing to do, but... And my whole aim was that I wanted to be authentic. I wanted people to see what it was really like, and and I think that's helpful. You know, yes, it is. Yeah. And it was helpful to me because it gave me this, uh, I don't know, just a catharsis. Like I said, just to I don't know get off some of the, the grief in a, in a sense, that I was able to do it in a kind of major way. Yeah. And at the end of it all, I had this sort of sense of peace, which was really, really good. I would uh, like to um, segue, if it's okay, sure. into into your story and your son's sure. story. Yeah. What kind of what kind of kid was he like? And oh, God. And, and, and the, you know, the upbringing. He was hilarious, very funny, um, very advanced sense of humour. Uh, couldn't... Um, I always knew he, you know, he was very articulate at a very young age. Yep. So two years old, he was chatting away, like, you know, having these full-on conversations with people and, and was funny as well. So I'm thinking, oh, gosh, what am I in for here? You know? <laughs> And he, um, if I can tell you a little story about him, he was um, in kindergarten and the teacher didn't quite know how to handle him. He was a wee bit, uh, wee bit naughty and um, she was so frustrated with him and she goes, he's just upsets me all the time. He just, you know, I asked him, what, why don't you sing along with the nursery rhymes? And he said, I don't do cover versions. <laughs> And he's like, you know, four years old. <laughs> oh, God, son, here we go. You know, hey, yeah, and that was kind of what it was dealing with. And it's very funny, musical, played the drums yeah. from a very young age as well. I, in fact, he would come up on stage and play the drums uh, from three years old in nappies. In fact, he was younger than three, he was in nappies playing the drums. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, so, you know, and that, yeah, he was an interesting little chappy, that's for sure. And how did he go through school, through primary oh, school? And with great difficulty. Um, again, popular, funny, all the rest, yeah. had a bit, bit of difficulty with sort of reading and writing and stuff, but I got, um, he got extra help, which was wonderful, and then it completely turned around and he ended up, like, reading prolifically and just you know, wow. much more advanced than his age. It was something just needed to be, I think just the way you're taught, isn't it? Some so people that, learn Do you think that differently. was a, a teacher or was there like a oh, moment that... Yeah, his teacher was miraculous. Like the one-on-one -on -one teaching was just amazing. And yeah. She was just a genius at what she does, you know. And I think just he just needed that little bit of just guidance, you know, with it. And... Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. But he, quirky character, very happy to say how he felt. I mean, the, the headmaster said to me he'd never been spoken to like that in his life before. And I think he was just 
giving his opinion on something. It wasn't, I don't think it was bad language or anything like that. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was a bit more just to, as an adult. Like he was just an talking honesty. honest uh, child, but like from an adult perspective or something. I don't know, but he had, he was, a, he was just way advanced for his age. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he nearly didn't get to go to his year seven formal, and that was kind of it all. That and he did, you know, because of what he'd said to his headmaster. <laughs> like, oh god! And I just didn't know what to do with him, to be honest. He, I tried to get him into music music schools around, you know. Um, but I guess you know the zoning with schools is difficult. You have yeah, to, yeah. you know, you either go with your local one or you have to get a special into a specialist school. And and I tried a few with the music, and he did end up getting into one, um, but it wasn't the best. Okay, it didn't yeah. you know? I think on his first day, he told me later on that he uh, at the train station he was offered marijuana on the first day of school. So that was the start of things to come, and yeah, yeah, that was sort of that was really how it went. And and I mean, he didn't even last at that school that long. He ended up going through the system and ended up in worse and worse places. And ugh, it was it was horrendous, really. Yeah. So is that something you're comfortable with expanding on? Then is sort of the the lead up. Uh, to the event, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he he was a runaway at twelve. He was keeping company. I mean, you know, I initially I would I would um, he was I would report him as a missing person on I don't know how many occasions. In the end, they just said he doesn't want to be found. Kind of idea. He was twelve at this age, twelve thirteen. And, you know, he did come back in initially from time to time, but then he was just a complete runaway. Yeah. He was just away. And I kept contact with him, and he was staying with people. He was staying in dodgy, with dodgy people, dodgy places, but I just kept, con- you know, I just kept the, the contact up with him. Tried to get him to go to school, tried to get him, you know, but, you know, to no avail. I mean, meanwhile, he was reading... Ernest Hemingway and whatever, <laughs> you know, he he it was, yeah. Until the system yeah. was not for him. Yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. I, at one stage, I got him into like a, it's a place here in Adelaide called Ruby's, uh, which, you know, tries to, they do a good job. They try to reunite. Um, kids with their families and do that kind of thing but this the kid stays in in a quite a restrictive kind of house and there's a lot of rules and a lot of things and I mean he he couldn't he couldn't stick to the rules and they got kicked out of there <laughs> as well um you know but it was it was just trying to get trying to get help trying to get it was difficult you know trying to get the right information to him as well and, and trying to get him to uh, yeah it's kind of like the uh, one time the school just said to me the horse is bolted and that's exactly what it was. It yeah. was like the horses bolted. How do you then? Because you fall through the cracks. So it's not like he's nine years old, where there's some sort of system to try and rein that in in some way. He wasn't old enough to get um, accommodation and stuff. So he needed to be like sixteen to do that. Yeah. So there was this period of time of two or three three years probably. That was just 
horrible. Like where you couldn't, he was just couch surfing and stuff, you know. he yeah. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. But, I mean, I kept contact with him the whole time and I had a relationship with him the whole time, which was good. I had a good relationship with him. But... Sorry, going back a little bit, but uh, was there something that you were aware of was for him was the suicidal ideation? Were you aware of that? Well, I was aware of it when he was young because I think he must have been about nine or something. And I got word from a teacher that he had mentioned it to a boy at school. Yeah. And then the parent had told the teacher and the teacher told me. But uh, to be honest with you, like, I... I just did not know what to do. Yeah. What do you do with that? I did not know. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know who to take him to. I didn't know what you do. I, you know, I tried, I guess I tried to talk to him about it at the time. I can't, honestly, I can't really remember. But I never heard it after that. I heard then and I never heard it after that. Yeah. That was the only time it was, it was kind of brought to my attention. Okay. Yeah. But after the fact... I was told by friends that male friends of his that he had spoken to them about it, but he didn't speak to me. He didn't speak to his female friends about it. He it was his male male friends. Yeah, well, let's go into the um, into the what happened afterwards then, yeah. and sort of how you coped with it, and the you know the family dynamic and yeah. friends so what sort of happened around that like afterwards and after you found out and well it was an interesting thing because because of the journey I'd had with him it was quite a long journey it, yeah. and it was I had grieved quite a bit so by the time that he suicided, I, I felt that it was his choice and that it was, I understood it in a sense, but I knew he wasn't of, of his right mind as such at the time, but, yeah. but because of depression and things, you know, it wasn't a, I knew he wasn't trying to hurt anybody else, but he was um, and that he wouldn't have purposely hurt me at all and he was just in a lot of pain and he needed to he needed to release himself from that pain yeah um, at, at any time as well yeah yeah you're totally fine to we're totally fine to pause this no I'm time. fine I'm absolutely fine okay. I think it's perfectly okay to be emotional when talking about this stuff because it's real yeah and you know i think it helps it helps yourself to talk about it and it also helps other people if i can tell you an example of that i um you know when ron died we uh, being in the sort of public eye as such with the band and stuff we had a lot of email list and all that kind of thing and people and I just knew that I didn't want to have to explain every time I spoke to somebody how's your how's your how are your children because people asked us that kind of thing a lot you know at festivals and things how your kids going da 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 so my husband and I Jim we decided to send an email out to people and actually tell them 
what had happened. Yeah. Because we just thought, we're just going to be upfront about this, let people know. And it was so interesting, the response, because people, so many people came back with their own experience of suicide, their own feelings of feeling wow. that way. Um, and it was quite amazing. So I realised from the very beginning, by being open about it, that was somehow helpful in some way, you know? And, and I mean, it was helpful to me because... I mean, I still sometimes people, I still have to explain to people, but it's okay, you know, it's okay. I, I can do that and it's fine. But at the time, I didn't want to have to tell everybody individually what had happened and I wanted people to know about it and they could tell their friends and they would know <laughs> that they didn't necessarily ask me that question, yeah. you know. But we also wrote music around it. We did it again. Uh, it was a healing sort of thing. We wrote an album um, Tales of Love and Loss and Rise Up. It was like a double album, and one was more of a sad thing, and the other thing was more uplifting. And we just, it was just a way to express our grief, you know. And on that album, I, um, I wrote about Rowan, and I, I just, you know, said a message about it and how, uh, if anybody was, um, feeling that way or you know seek help he you know blah 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 and then so a little bit down the track I I met somebody at a festival didn't really know them very much said hello all the rest of it and a few weeks later I got an email from this lady and she had found suicidal letters in her daughter's room and because I had written this she said look I don't know why I'm I, I've read this on your thing and I don't know who to reach out to but and so she reached out to me and then I then had phone calls with her and had a chat and now, mm. and now we're very good friends amazing and it was over in she's in western Australia and she's quite happy for me to to mention that sure. so yeah. um yeah uh, and now we're you know her daughter was doing brilliantly she's just gone great guns and and at that time, you know, she was in despair. She didn't know what to do. She um, didn't know how to turn to. And I just said, well, you know, try this, try that, da-da-da. And I was able to give a little bit of the experience I'd had, and it helped her. So I know this helps people. It's um, And it's it, that has been my experience from the beginning, that um, just being open and honest about your story is yeah. is important. Yeah. Yeah. And so now, how how are you today? These years later, mm. how are you guys today? With well, I like I said about the doing the play last year. I mean, it's ten years since my son died just a few weeks ago. Yes. Um, since doing that play, I have felt like a shift. So it's kind of like the grief isn't as heavy. Okay. So. It's still. It's not like it disappears. It's not like it goes away. But it's there. But it's, it's some. It's somehow more bearable, and it's somehow just slightly different to what it was. So, um, and that you know that was that's just my experience. So that that was something that I felt I needed to do and felt driven to do. And I yes. know why I did it because it did help and it made me feel, um, slightly better. Um, 
And then, of course, I did. I heard about um, the Roses in the Ocean workshop, and I thought that sounds brilliant because I'd love to. Well, I'd love to know how to share my story in a way that's helpful to people. Yes. You know, in a, in a in a productive way, not just not just kind of. Um, you know, and this happened to me, and this happened to me, and this happened to me, because, you know, that's a bit, you know, it doesn't always um, work that way. No, yeah. It's got to be in a way that, that people can actually get benefit from it, you know. And it was just brilliant. It was a wonderful experience. I, I loved it. And again, that was cathartic also. That was a slight, another little level of healing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the main thing I've learned is sometimes you don't know what effect you're going to have on people you just if you're just honest and open and yourself you can have a very positive effect on you know i i just think that's why this this workshop was so good to be able to present a story in such a way that is helpful and and that's what it does it's very very helpful i just listening to people as well is extremely help, helpful. And that's, yeah, it is. that's what I've tried to do as well. And I, I love the fact that someone or other, or other people have come up to me and spoken to me as well. And another experience that happened was that we did, um, in Sydney, did a, we've written a song um, about Rowan and they were looking for... Uh, a so- songs to put on an album about the topic and it was kind of like a competition type thing and we went to Sydney and, and did this and sang a song in front of this group and everything and it was very difficult to do but at the end of it a man came up to me who was in tears like really 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 upset and he said I've just come out of hospital I've I've been, you know, feeling so terrible and blah, 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 but your so- your song has changed how I'm thinking. Oh. I, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it's so, you know, so you just don't know. You don't know the power of that until you just you just do it. Do you feel fortunate that you get to see it firsthand, how your yeah. message is yes, translated that, to mean, you? I mean, what a blessing. What a blessing, you know. I've, I've done um, a number of um, live broadcastings that they've done in, in Sydney at the Opera House um, with um, Wesley Uniting Church. They do a memorial service. We've done that where they throw sunflowers into the sea and they oh, do all that. It's really, it's beautiful. And, I mean, people put up photographs of their loved ones and, I mean... What struck me was there was a child of like 13 up there and there was somebody who was 80 years old and there was somebody who was 13 and, oh, my gosh. And, you know, the people come and share their stories with you and it is amazing. It is amazing. And I always feel I don't have the worst thing in the world. There's always people that have it worse than me, for sure, you know. It's... This is, this is the journey. I feel like we're all 
we're all a part of a, an exclusive little club that not, none of us <laughs> wanted to join, <laughs> but we're here, yeah. you know. Uh, and, and how do you think going into um, the message with society and people communicating and talking to each other, Yeah. do you think we're getting better at that? Do you think, do you think we're improving? Uh, yeah. I think it's becoming less of a stigma to a degree, mental illness and all that kind of thing. Um, I wish that the organisations I'm part of now that are dealing with youth like Talk Out Loud here in, in Adelaide and Mosh in Adelaide, they are, I mean, they're amazing at what they do. Um, and uh, Talk Out Loud, you know, for young people for a particular age bracket, they, they do amazing things. They bring them on camp. Um, they really work on their self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've learned. I have learned that it's it's a lot about self-esteem. And it's very difficult to give someone their self-esteem. Yeah, It's a very difficult thing, but I think it's a key issue. I think it's something that, you know, if we could really tap into that um, and allow young people to to have that and to feel good about themselves and to, you know take up opportunities and really go with their talents and you know because a lot of a lot of creative people in amongst this as well you know a lot of creative people because you don't necessarily fit in the mold you know the other thing about um uh, i remember too at the time of you know of, of my son's death was that i i had a bit of a different perspective on it because as i said before i i accepted it mm-hmm. immediately I didn't I wasn't angry with him I have never been angry with him yeah I mean you may be angry at yourself or at other other things but uh, personally not at him no and okay. and then there's also a kind of people have this idea of what a grieving person looks like and it's really so different I mean my yeah. husband was very different to me he He's a very proactive person, so it made him want to get in and and do all these, you know, suicide events and things like that. Whereas at the time, probably I I was a bit more um, shaky on doing it. You know, for him, he could speak easily; it was no problem. And he wanted he wanted to help young people with music. He wanted to help, so he was. That's the way he dealt with it. And how did you two communicate that between each other about how you were both differently going through the grieving process? How was that for you? Yeah, I realised I realised early on that it was different and that I just had to accept that that people grieve differently and I, I, it was more of an acceptance of, of that fact. Initially, it was a misunderstanding. Why, why isn't that person reacting like you do when yeah. you think and you know it just people everybody's completely different um and i would say that that's very important for people to know that that um just accept whatever a person does during grief accept that because that is their way of doing it yeah and it, it does not follow a set of rules where you feel this then you feel that and then this changes and then that changes it just does not work like that yeah, especially when your world's turned upside down and your, your compass is gone. Yeah. And you just don't really know how to feel and react and just be, and you just got to find your way through the world again. Yeah, sort of. you do. You, you definitely do. I mean, I've been, this whole time, I've been thinking to myself, how can I help people now through this? Because it's taken me 
taken me longer to want to proactively do it. I was kind of more or less going along with emotions, if you know what I mean. I yeah. have done a lot of things, but, you know, I couldn't have really spoken. I have sung at things, and that's not easy, but um, the talking was definitely the hardest part. Yeah. You know, just because of the deep emotions there you know yeah and because you're because i'm used to performing you know you don't want to totally break down and it, you you want to keep some kind of semblance of togetherness because we play a lot often there was anniversaries that we'd be at gig i'd be at gig and it was you know this the, my son's death and my son's birthday or you know all these these sort of events and i'd have to get through a gig and just and, and it would be fine but then my husband would say something and mention it and I would just be a mess mm, yeah. because I wasn't prepared for it you know like I wasn't ready to talk about it in yeah. that moment he was fine he was <laughs> he was fine and I'm like no don't, don't talk about that right now you know because because it, I was you know, I was preparing myself to sing a certain song yeah. or do it, and I was like, oh, you know, and it was quite difficult. Yeah, I mean, you just eventually work it out, don't you? Time. Or you or you don't, yeah. you know. But What would you say to those couples out there now that are maybe going yeah, through this or in I, these early stages? Well, I think what, what my husband and I did that was helpful was I went to the places that was a fit for me, and he went to the places that was a fit for him. So it was slightly different. It wasn't, we didn't go to the same groups. We went to different groups. And, um, and that was good because then he, say in a support group, he got to speak freely yeah. at a support group and I got to speak freely and it, it didn't mean we had to worry about what the other one was saying or thinking or that. And it was good. It was a good th- a good thing to do. You know? And then you were able to use what you were both talking about separately and come together and, and work through yeah, it. Yeah, you eventually you eventually do. It, it's, you know, but it's not easy. It's not an easy process, yeah. obviously, but it is, you know, it's tricky. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there any sort of message that you, aside from just that being patient with each other and the people around you, is, is there any sort of message that you sort of want to put out there to... to <laughs> What's coming into my mind <laughs> is that when my son died and I went to the school and one of the teachers said something to me that really paid me off, like, and it stuck in my head. And I think, please don't ever say this to a person that's, you know, and she said, um, oh, it's so, you know, it's so terrible. You'll never get over this. You'll never get over this for all your life. And I'm thinking, sorry, please don't tell me how my life's going to be. Please don't give me doom and gloom for the rest of my life. It was just like, I felt it was just pushed on me and I had no hope. You know, I mean, I mm. knew I had hope, but she was telling me and it was so irritating. And the thing was, I, I was in such a way that I just told people what I thought. I didn't, I didn't hold back, you know, because I was pissed off. I told her I was. So, yeah. you know, and I was irritated and I was, I just thought, please don't say that to me, you know, it's not. And, and on the other hand, I had people who, um, lovely people who I didn't know that well, who brought food, who, who like, you know, somebody we know had a, had a restaurant, Kim with all this food like oh. 
you know, and we knew them, but we didn't, they weren't like really close friends or anything, but it was just that kind of kindness. And, and, all, and the other thing was that um, I had family members who came across who didn't mention him at all. And this is like maybe, I don't know how long after it was. It might have been six months or something. And, and he just wasn't mentioned. And I'm like, so I appreciated when people did say to me, you know, because then we then we could talk about it. Yeah, we got yeah. it out of the way and we didn't have to pretend that it was... The gate was open. Yes, yes. And it was, it was far more relaxing. Mm. To just say, and now, and so now I learned from that. I will always say to somebody, "I'm so sorry to hear about such and such, and blah blah blah," you know, and um, because you acknowledge it, you don't need to talk about it for hours. You just acknowledge it, and then you can have move on and have a conversation. Okay. I mean, I've had people. Uh, what I did, what I found myself doing in the beginning was, I found myself comforting everybody else. That that's what it was like. Because I, I had to tell them what had happened. And they were so shocked. These are people that didn't know what, what had happened. And they would ask that question about the kids. And I'd say, oh, um, look, you obviously don't know, but I, I'll just tell you what's happened. And and they would be, sometimes they'd burst into tears. Sometimes they'd just go, <gasps> you know, like just be in a state of shock. And uh, and then I said, look, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know you don't know. I know you didn't know. It's fine. You know, but it, that's what I was doing. I was actually comforting other people. Did you find that helpful for yourself? Well, yes, but it seemed like an odd position to be in. <laughs> you know, it seemed yeah. like a strange position to be in. I was happy to do it and, I, and, I, and it was fine. And it yeah. was... And I was okay with it, you know, but it it was odd, you know. But I knew it would happen, but that's that's why we initially told everybody because, or as many people as we could. Um, and I mean, I'm just glad that I've got to this ten year point where I do have a little shift in that grief, and it is easier for me to speak, you know. And that's, um. Uh, you know, I you don't know how that makes me feel. That makes me feel really good because I, you know, for ages it was just like this is too hard. It's too hard to to do it. Yeah. But I'm now here. I'm now at a point where it's not too hard, and it's and it's okay to do it. And it's not only that, but it it feels good to do it. To so be able weird. to speak in a way that's um, not all doom and gloom and just about the person in a happy way. You yeah. know, I mean, and I know that's. I mean, I guess that's been part of my thing the whole way along is to be able to do that at times to get through things because often laughter is a thing that does get you through you know medicine yeah it is is. it's a really good thing to do as well as music as well as music and uh, you know i'm lucky to be able to have that music as a healing tool as well you know i was able to express myself in music where i mean that wasn't easy either that was that was really hard to do it was and uh, the thing about it is when you first write a song like that, it's so close to the bone, you know, like you don't, I think, oh God, how am I ever going to be able to sing this? Because it's just too raw, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then after a while, you perform it a few times and, and it becomes just a song and you can sort of sit behind it a little bit 
not and not be just right in the middle of it. Yeah. And you're able to sing it as a song and not just this sort of outpouring of grief of your of your own grief. You know, everybody's experience of these things is different, but we we're all together and we can help each other. Yeah, we can. It's important. Well, you are important and Thank you're you. an amazing woman and I'm very grateful to have been able to sit here and talk to you and, and listen to your story and be part of it. I just feel very grateful and very blessed. And, thank you. And, uh, thank Appreciate you it. And same for me. <laughs> You're welcome. So thank you so much. Thank you.